Today's daf is uh, Tet in Rosh Hashanah. We are at the top of, uh, of Tet Amud Aleph. We are four lines from the top of the Hamud. Where it says, minala. How do we know? Because it had mentioned before the idea of adding Mechol Al Kodesh, because it had spoken about that with respect to uh, the, the Yovel, adding on to the Kedushah of the Yovel or the Shemitah ahead of time after and so on. So the question is, where do we get this concept in general? Because it took it as a premise before that that was a possibility. It says that a person, uh, when, it, when it speaks, it says, Tishbot bechariyshu b'katzir tishbot, very famous pasuk that um, that six days you should work on the seventh day you should rest bechariyshu b'katzir tishbot, rest in the uh, in the uh, plowing and in the harvesting. So the question is, what is that extra word bechariyshu b'katzir tishbot? Rabbi Akiva Omer, eno tzarich lomar chariyshu b'katzir shavuot. We don't need to tell us. First of all, the assumption is that we don't need to be told that chariyshu and katzir are prohibited on Shabbat because every melacha is prohibited on Shabbat. So why does it mention chariyshu and katzir plowing, <laughs> plowing and harvesting? So the assumption is it's referring to shemitah, not actually to uh, to Shabbat. But if that, but why would we need that for for shemitah either? Shavuot var neamar sadechalot dezuad vegomer. We already have that pasuk. Ela chariyshu erev shavuot haniknas shavuot. In other words, Rabbi Akivan learns it that it's coming, uh, the idea of Mosifin Mechol Lakodesh comes from this Pasuk, that not only is there a prohibition of harvesting and plowing during the Shemitah year, but even plowing that's done prior to the Shemitah year in order to benefit the Shemitah growth, or uh, harvesting that's done post Shemitah that's benefiting from the Shemitah growth that took place during the Shemitah, both of those are also prohibited, so that's a type of Mosifin Mechol Lakodesh. Right? That's the idea. Um, the Rabbi Shmuel says, "No, it doesn't have to do with uh, with the um, before and after the Shemitah. It actually has to do with Shabbat, like the Pshuto Shel Mikra. It has to do with Shabbat. But it's telling you that just like you're not allowed to uh, to do Harish, which there's no plowing that's ever Shel Mitzvah that ever overrides Shabbat. So uh, just like Harish that you're not allowed to do." Is rishut is is something that you would be doing voluntarily avkatzir rishut that then so too the type of harvesting you're not allowed to do on Shabbat is the type that is your own personal harvesting yetzaktira omer shu mitzvah which is coming to exclude the harvesting of the omer which is a mitzvah in other words the fact that it compares to charish v'katzir is to tell you that the only type of katzir that you're not allowed to do is the katzir that's like a charish and what is a charish a charish is a plowing there's never a plowing that's allowed on Shabbat so you're only allowed why not because there's never a mitzvah to do. Uh, plowing at any particular time. So therefore, you're only also not allowed to do a harvesting that doesn't have a particular time attached to it. But if it's a mitzvah, like Ketzirat Omer, you're allowed to do it even on Shabbat. And that was one of the big chidushim of the rabbis against the uh, tzadokim, that the Mishnah talks about Masechet Menachot, that they would make a big deal out of the fact that even when Motzei Yom Tov Arishon Shel Pesach was Shabbat, they would still go and they would do Ketzirat uh, Omer, And that was a big... Uh, a big uh, scandal from the perspective of a tzadokim who thought that was Chilul Shabbat. But in any case, once we see that, the question is, Rabbi Ishmael, Mosifin Mechol Kodesh Minalat. So we see that Rabbi Akiva has a source for adding on Mechol Al Kodesh, because he says that you see from these psukim that we add onto the Shemitah to a certain extent. But Rabbi Ishmael doesn't read the psukim that way. He says that it's actually talking about Shabbat, and it's telling you that only a Ketzir She'ena Shel Mitzvah is, uh, is prohibited. So where does he get the... Um, where does he get the idea of Mosifin Mechol Al Kodesh? Nafkalei Mididanya V'initem Nafshotechem B'Tishal Chodesh Ba'erev Ne'erev Ad Erev. That's talking about Yom Kippur when it says that you should start fasting 
in the ninth of the month of Tishrei, right, from evening to evening. Yechol Talmud right? You might think that you're supposed to fast on the ninth of Tishrei, but it says in the evening, right? So how does it work? Uh, so, so uh, maybe you'll think it means until it gets really dark. But that wouldn't be the ninth day anymore. That would already be a new day. That would already be the tenth. It teaches you from the fact that it says um, that you're supposed to start fasting on Yom Kippur when it is still the ninth of, of Tishrei. And it's not yet the tenth of Tishrei, which means you're adding on Mechol ala Kodesh. And that's where he gets that idea from. Okay, so now it's so, it, so, uh, that only shows me that I'm supposed to add on to Yom Kippur in the beginning. I'm supposed to start early. How do I know they extend it afterwards as well? It emphasizes from evening to evening, meaning you should push it out even further until the 11th of uh, Tishrei, until you're well into the 11th of Tishrei, not ending exactly on the dot at the time that it's uh, over. That's only Yom Kippur. How do I know that Shabbat also, there's an idea of Mosifin Mechol Kodesh? Because it says when it's talking about Yom Kippur. And that teaches you that any kind of Shvita also could be extended. Yamim Tovim Right? Therefore it says to teach you you should rest your rest day, meaning that Yom Kippur has Mosifin Kodesh, but you can generalize from that, universalize from that to all days of rest. All Shabbatot and also Chagim. Okay? And uh, and, and meaning to say Haketzad, Kol Makom any time you have resting, Mosifin Kodesh. So that's where Rabbi Ishmael learns it from. Now it's interesting because the Rambam, very famously, the Rambam only mentions Hosafat Chol Kodesh in Yom Kippur. He doesn't take this Gemara as halacha that you, that you add, or that there's a mitzvah to start Shabbat early or extend Shabbat later or anything like that. He only mentions it by Yom Kippur, which is very interesting. <coughs> there's a lot of discussion about that. But in any case, for Rabbi Akiva, now Rabbi Akiva already has a source for Mosifin mechol ala kodesh. So uh, ostensibly, he wouldn't need this pasuk of betisha la kodesh ba'erev because he already has a uh, a basis for that um, uh, for the for starting early. So therefore, what does he need that pasuk for? What is he going to use that pasuk for? For what what chiyabarav from difti said. Why does it say that you're afflicting your souls on the ninth? Meaning that it's before Yom Kippur to teach you. You fast on the ninth. It's the tenth that you're fasting. Anybody who eats on the uh, on ninth day of Tishrei, we count it as if he fasted for the ninth and the tenth. Now there's a, a bunch of... Um, interpretations of why that is, why should eating on the ninth of uh, Tishrei count for you as if you fasted for, uh, uh, for two days. So some people say the reason is because you're preparing for the fast. So since you're involved in a preparation for the mitzvah, it's as if you were involved with that mitzvah for the two days. Some people say it's because you're showing kavod to the Yom Kippur. When, on, on every other chag, we have a beautiful table with food and all these delicacies to show honor to the day. On Yom Kippur, we don't have that, so we do it beforehand. We have a beautiful meal before Yom Kippur. That's another interpretation. A third interpretation is that it actually, because eating a lot on, on Erev Yom Kippur makes you hungrier, on the day of Yom Kippur, so it's like exacerbating the fast and the Inui, so it's like a double header. All of these possibilities are uh, valid. Now, Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbi said, Yoveli, it is the Yovel. Now, even though, meaning it's a Yovel, in the sense that you're prohibited from working the land during the Yovel, even if nobody returned the land to its original owner, 
And even if they never blew the shofar to free the slaves, it's still a yovel. Okay? So the thing is, maybe you'll say, even though they didn't send out their slaves. So there it says, no. Talmud Amar, he. That's why it says, yovel he. Rabbi Yehuda says that it's limiting it, that if they didn't send out the slaves at all, so then it wouldn't be considered a shnate yovel, and the prohibitions of planting and harvesting, etc., during the Ovel would not come into effect because it would not be a full Shnata Yovel in that case. According to Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Yossi, Omer Yovel hi, Afabishilo According to Rabbi Yossi, even if they didn't return the land to its original owners, and even though they didn't send out the slaves, it still would be Yovel. But you might think, Yachol Afabishilo Takeu, Talmudomar hi. Right? So, in other words, basically, Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Yudah are saying which action of human beings is necessary to fully invest. The, uh, the Yovel with the Kiddushah, where it has the restrictions of the Yovel. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it is the sending out of the slaves. According to Rabbi Yossi, it is the blowing of the Shofar. Right? So, uh, so the question is, once we already have a Pasuk that is Mirabeh, that is a, an inclusive Pasuk, right? And we also have a Pasuk that is mam'it, mikrachad mam'it, that it's a, it's a pasuk that is a limiting pasuk, mipnei ma ani omer yovel hi, so, and according to the Bach, it should say, mipnei ma ani omer yovel afalpi shelo shilichu, ven yovel ela imken takeu. The question is, why would you say that if they, whether they send out the slaves or not, we don't care about that. But if they didn't blow the shofar, it's not a yovel. What would that be? Right? Because it's possible that you could have a scenario in which nobody owns any slaves. So you wouldn't have any shiluachavadim. But it's impossible to imagine a situation where you have no tikiyat shofar in the world. So therefore, tikiyat shofar is me'akevit. One is in the hands of the betin, one isn't. In other words, if you make it in the hands of the, if you de- make it dependent upon the shofar, so shofar is done by the betin, it's done by the leadership. So, uh, uh, they will send their uh, messengers to, to blow the shofar. But when it comes to sending out slaves, that's dependent on the individual. We can't make the Kiddushat, the Kiddushat of the Yovel dependent on individual decision to let go of their slaves. It has to be something that comes from the top. And therefore, shofar is key and not Yovel. Why do you need two answers? In other words, the first answer was that there could be a situation with no Avadim, but there couldn't be a situation with no shofar. And the second answer was that one is in the hands of the Bedin, what is in the hands of the individual? That you might say that uh, maybe there's one person in the world that, uh, that, you know, it's impossible to imagine that there isn't at least one person in the world that, uh, uh, you know, that has a slave that he's not sending out. In other words, there, there would, it, it would be, even if you're going to argue that it's not practical, practical to imagine that there is nobody in the world with any slaves, still we'll say, we'll go to the, uh, the second reason. In other words, uh, nowadays that second reason will be the definitive one because we don't really have slaves anymore. But the point is that even if you're going to say it's impossible to imagine a scenario in which nobody has any slaves, we still have the fact that the shofar is in, the, in charge of, uh, of the betin. Uh, it's, it's under their auspices. And the sending out of the slaves <laughs> is something that's done by the individual. And therefore we're not going to put the, uh, the uh, sanctity of the ovel in the hands of individual decision whether people decide to send out their slaves or not. That's Rabbi Yossi. Now, that's Bishlam al Rabbi Yossi Giddaka So he gives his reasoning there. But El Rabbi Yudah, Maitama Makrao, Kratem Drobaretz. 
Right, so what's his reasoning? Because the pasuk says, "Ukratem That's the pasuk. You should call out freedom in the land. It will be a yovel for you. Right? And he says that you have to look at what's immediately before the word yovel. It says yovel It will be a yovel for you. And what did it say immediately before that? Ukratem That's in the beginning of Parashat uh, Behar. So obviously. Um, if you're going to look at what's immediately before Yovelhi, it's going to be the calling out of the, the freeing of the slaves. The Kuli Alma. So, so the and the Lefnefanav. We're not going to go two psukim back to where it talks about the blowing of the shofar. Right? He doesn't want to make the uh, Yovelhi connected to the blowing of the shofar because in the psukim it looks like it's more intimately connected to the freeing of the slaves because it's closer to it in the pasuk. The Kuli Alma Dror Lishon Chirut. But everybody agrees that the word Dror means. Freedom. My mashma. What's the reason? What's the basis for that? Because the brighter said that draw means freedom. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Ma lashon draw. What is the language of draw? A person who can live in any place he wants. He can take around his wares to anywhere that he wants. In other words, he can take around whatever he wants to sell to whatever place he wants. In other words, that's what the word draw means. Freedom. Okay. Now Amar Bichia Bar Abba Amar Biyochanan Zodav Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Yosi. This was all Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yosi that say that the Kedushav the Yovel is based upon either the Tkiat Shofar or the freeing of the slaves, but not both. Right? Aval Chachamim Amrim Shloshtan Meakvot. What Shloshtan? The blowing of the Shofar and the returning of the land to the owners and the freeing of the slaves. Without all three ingredients, it's not a Yovel. And if all three of those things did not take place, then there's no Yovel, right? That's Shloshtan Meakvot Bo. Kasavoy Mikan Nidrash Lefanav VeLefnei Panav Ul Acharav. That not only are they going back in the pasuk, in other words, when it says Yovel He, right before that it talks about the freeing of the slaves. Ukratem Dror Lechol Yoshevei Yovel He Tiyalechem. But before that is Vavartem Shofar Torah B'Chodesh Shvi'i Be'Asol L'Chodesh Be'Yom Kippurim Tavu Shofar B'Chol Atzachem. Right, so that's before. That's before, before. In other words, it's two psukim before. And afterwards it mentions, V'shavtem yishel echuzato, v'yishel mishpachto tashuvu, v'shnat ha-yovel hazot, tashuvu yishel echuzato. So meaning, if you look at it in, it's sandwiched in between a whole bunch of different things. According to the Chachamim, all of them have to happen for it to have the Kiddushah of, uh, of Yovel, where you're going to be prohibited to work the land. Right, so then the question is, Vakitiv Yovel he. What about the fact that it says Vakitiv Yovel, but it says Yovel, and doesn't doesn't that mean to expand something to say something Lirabot? We said the word Yovel is supposed to um, uh, is supposed to expand the category, not only limit it but extend it somehow. Where is it extending it to? It says the answer is that Hahu that it applies even in Chutz Aretz. Now, obviously, the returning of the land doesn't apply in the Chutz Aretz. It means that the uh, releasing of the slaves would apply also in Chutz Aretz. So when it's a Yovel, if you own slaves outside of uh, Israel, you would also have to free them. Right? So the, uh, and Ve'akitiv, Ba'aretz, right? Doesn't it say Ba'aretz? No, Hahu, Bizman Shinoeg, Dro Ba'aretz. Noeg Bechutz Aretz. Bizman Shino Noeg, Ba'aretz, Eno Noeg Bechutz Aretz. In other words, it's true that it's contingent upon Eretz Israel. When there is Yovel in Eretz Israel, there's also a freeing of the slaves outside of Eretz Israel. There's also a Shmitat Ksafim on, uh, even though there's no Shmitat Karkaot, you don't have uh, Shmitat of the land outside of Israel, but you do have Shmitat of uh, loans outside of Eretz Israel. It's not tied to, uh, to Eretz Israel. So, so too, you would have a freeing of the slaves, even though, as long as it's happening in Eretz Israel, it would also be happening 
uh, in Chutz Aretz, and that's the conclusion of the Gemara. We said that Tishrei is the Rosh Hashanah for planting to determine when something is no longer Ola. So it says, because it says for three years it is Arelim, it's prohibited. And it says in the fourth year, that's when you bring it as Netarevai, that's when you bring it for the fourth year um, to eat it in Yerushalayim, and then everything becomes permitted after that. Now, the question, and we see the word Shana, from the beginning of the year. The word Hashana appears referring to Tishrei, the beginning of the rainy time, the beginning of the fall. So, uh, agricultural Reshit Hashana. So that Hashana connects us to the, uh, the Orla. The Orla follows Rosh Hashana as well. Although it's very complicated. The truth of the Halachot of Orla is a little bit complicated. Um, it's not so simple that it just goes by uh, Tishrei. Um, there's, there's also a tie-in with Tu Bishvat, a little bit more complicated than it might seem on the surface. But in any case, um, the question is, Why don't we learn Shana Shana from Nisan? Because it also says Shana It also says Shana by Nisan. So it says, no, Danin Shana Sheinima Chodeshim, Mishana Sheinima Chodeshim. Fein Danin Shana Sheinima Chodeshim, Mishana Sheishima Chodeshim. As we saw, uh, that we've seen this drasha already three times, three, four times, that whenever, that the difference between the Pasuk that describes the oneness, so to speak, the primacy, you could say, of Nisan is different than the Pasuk that describes the primacy of Tishrei, because the primacy of Tishrei is just called Hashana, and by Nisan it's called Lechodshe Hashana, the first of the months of the year. So we want to know not the first of the months of the year, but the beginning of the year, just the word Hashana. And so we connect it to Tishrei, and we say that Ola is based upon Tishrei, not upon Nisan. Although, as I said, it is rather complicated. If you learn the Halachot of Ola, there's also a tie-in with Tu Bishvat. It's not so simple that the year just uh, clicks over to year number two when you hit Tishrei. It is more complicated than that, but uh, that's beyond the scope of this daf, obviously. It's just trying to determine what the official Rosh Hashanah is for Ola, which is uh, Tishrei. So Bezad Hashem, we'll pick up from here tomorrow um, and uh, continuing with the uh, different Rosh Hashanim.